Good morning. If you're surprised to see me here, so am I. Um, too many people are down with COVID, so as we come to open God's word, we really do need our help. I do. We all need to do. So let's pray for Paul and Kerry, for Brian and Wendy, for Mark and Sarah. There's a number of others, families touched by COVID. Lord, we want to bring these folk to you. Do you bless them where they are and give them the grace and the healing and the touch your presence just where they are. And for us, we pray the same, Lord. Open our hearts to your word, which we believe is inspired, breathed by you, that it might change us, might change us as a body, might change us as individuals into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for those who minister to us, for the, the band, the team, those that broadcast this and do all the techniques. But thank you that you are here present with us. And may you speak in the name of Jesus. Amen. <coughs> Paul came down with COVID on Wednesday, so I got a phone call warning me before his final positive test. Thank you, love. Came through. that <coughs> he might not be able to make it. In fact, it, he tested positive. And he asked if I would consider following around the theme that we're looking at about the nature of the church and particularly to speak into the, the church as the household of God. And it's actually a brilliant topic. I love it church is a household. I think if we get into what we're thinking about this morning, it will push our experience or our expe expectation of church into a much richer way. Church is not coming and sitting in a pew, getting fed a few words, singing a few songs and going away again. If that's your concept of church, it is so far short of the New Testament concept as to be a parody almost of it, a caricature. The household of God is one of the pictures of the church that in the New Testament there's also the bride, the body, the temple, the nation, holy nation. So a number of pictures of the church. And that means there are a number of pictures of the leadership of the church. If the church is a flock, the leader is a shepherd. Do you understand the picture allows for both? <coughs> If the church is a bride, the leader who is Christ is a bridegroom. If the church is a body, the leader is a head. It, the two are interrelated, how the leadership works. And that is very true of the whole idea of household. Now, we don't really easily have the concept of the New Testament of the word household. And I'm going to use the Greek word to try and make us think a wee bit differently so that we don't bring all our associations of household uh, just to it. In English we have actually three words. We have the word house. A house is a building with four walls, a few windows and a couple of doors. It's a building. Okay? And then we have the word home. 
which means it's a building in which people live. And the emphasis more is the function of providing a base for a family. And then we have the word household. And household means more than that. It's more than just the nuclear family. It could be um, a care home, which is a household of a lot of people and carers and um, uh, people who provide the food and all sorts of things. It's a wider sense again. And we're getting out towards what the biblical idea of a household is. But it is small enough to be called a household. It's not mega. Do you understand? This picture is about a relatable size of a gathering, a relatable number of people. You could get to know everybody in a household. In fact, if you don't know everybody in a household, something's seriously wrong. In Greek, the word is oikos, as Paul said last week. And it has the implications of a house and a home and a household. It is all of that and more. And we'll have a wee look at what that means. I want to read from 1 Timothy 3, just a couple of verses. Because the word occurs twice in this. Paul's been talking about elders and deacons <coughs> or servants. That's what the word deacon means. The, the word deacon just was the Greek word taken over and transliterated. It's not actually a translation at all. It's just the same word. Um, Verse 12. Let deacons be married only once and let them manage their children and their oikos well, their household well. For those who serve or deacon well, same word, as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon but I'm writing these instructions to you so that if I am delayed, you may know how we ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the bulwark of the truth. Two mentions to household, deacons' households, that's their own family unit and all that are in it. But the household of God, God is a household. God knows everybody in it. God knows all the functions and relationships in the household. And it's his household, we're told. And we're told two very important things about this. That we're to know how to live in his household. Would you think of going into even your best friend's house and putting your feet up in the furniture? Would you think of just wandering around the house as you thought fit, as if it were your own? Well, we don't when we go into somebody else's home. If we need a, what they call in America, a comfort break, we ask, can we go to, you understand what I'm saying? We, if we live in the place, we just go. There's a freedom that we can behave in our own household the way we think, but if we go into somebody else's household, we respect their way of doing things. And this is the household of God so when we come in, we need to learn how to live, how to behave in the household of God that shows respect for him as the head of that household. Okay? That touches everything. That touches how we behave 
in all sorts of ways, not just listening, but how we relate to each other in the queue for tea and 101 other things. So the first thing is it's God's household and he calls the way it is. He says the way it is. So we're here to learn to live in his household. The oikos is also called the ecclesia of the living God in verse 15, I think it is. I'm writing that you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. It's very clear. The church is a household. The household of God is the church. And he says of the church that it is the pillar and the bulwark of the truth. Um, This steadies the truth meeting and holding together in relationship steadies the truth for us all it bulwarks it it um, stops it it stops us being wavering that's not a very good word but you're trying to, I'm trying to get the idea across this is what steadies people's lives in the congregation in the household of God and it affirms and maintains and upholds the truth And as we interact, particularly with the input from the leaders who who teach the Word of God, we keep each other balanced in the Word of God. If we go off on our own, we'll go off in all sorts of ways. We'll get a verse and build an empire on it. That's not the way it's meant to be. We're meant to interact and balance and solidify and steady the truth. Now, if the word for household is oikos, there's another related word, which is, get it right, Oikinomos, which is the word steward, the person who manages the house. And we're talking about the leadership. That's what Paul started two weeks ago, talking about the leadership. And one of the words that we think less about in terms of a leader is oikinomos, someone who manages and governs or rules the house, someone who has oversight of the house. Um, Could you look at Titus chapter (coughs) 1? Again, we have such problems with the words that the translators of the early versions of the Bible, particularly the King James, did not translate but just brought straight over from the Greek. And it's caused massive problems. There are words like baptism, bishop, Uh, and other words like that that have just been brought straight over from the Greek and not translated as they were normally translated. But Titus 1.5 That is why I left you in Crete. This is Paul writing to Titus, uh, his young disciple and fellow apostle, that you might amend what was defective and appoint elders, presbyteros, in every town as I directed you. Men who are blameless, married only once, whose children are believers and not open to the charge of being profligate or insubordinate. For a bishop, an episkopos, that's the word, actually means epi, over, and skopos, someone who sees over, an overseer, someone who's the capacity of oversight. Not somebody who wears big robes and wanders around with a big, you know, crook. That's totally alien to the word of God. 
an overseer, a bishop, for a bishop as God's steward, oikinomos, same word again, must be blameless, must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard, and there's a whole range of things there about his character and his behavior. An elder is a bishop or a Episcopal, an overseer, is a steward. And what that tells us, elsewhere it's a shepherd as well. No one word conveys the complexity of the concept of a leader in the local church. They all have their connotations and their meanings to be drawn out. And no one word conveys the complexity and the multivariousness of what the people of God in a locality are meant to be. You're a flock, you're a family, you're a household. Do you understand? You're a team. You could use all sorts of pictures. All of them are right up to a point and are good up to a point, but we have to have them all together. We're looking at this one. An elder is someone who is older. This is profound. (laughs) Very simple. Not so much older in years as older in maturity, older in the faith. Because if you're older in that sense, you ought to have more to deposit into the body. It is not to do with age. As somebody once said to me, you can have uh, 40 years experience or you can have one year's experience 40 times. Think that one through. You understand what I'm saying? You can have 40 years experience building year upon year or you can have one year's experience over and over and over and over and over and at the age of 40 you're still being spoon fed in the church as if you were a toddler. There's something not right about that. That's an elder. An overseer is someone whose capacity to oversee and they realize that well if we do this that will affect the mothers and tots and if we do this the older people will be left out. Do you understand? Somebody who sees it from a whole range of angles. Many people see it from, well, it affects me this way. I didn't like that change because this is what it does for me. Do you understand? But an overseer can see that and head off as many difficulties as possible. And an oikinomos, a steward, is a manager. And we'll see that that means both managing people and resources. So what does the word steward imply? Steward for a leader. (coughs) If you want to look it up later, Luke 12, 41 to 48. Master, let me just read that, Luke 12. I'm sorry I have to use this Bible that I'm not particularly familiar with because the one that I am familiar with, all the pages to do with Timothy and Titus are falling out, so I was afraid of doing a bit of sort of a confetti thing, uh, which wouldn't be a good idea. The Lord says this. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise steward, oikinomos, whom his master will set over his oikos to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant, actually the word is slave, whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. But I tell you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, 
My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the men servants and men servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour he does not know, and will punish him and put him at the unfaithful. The servant who knew his master's will but did not make ready or act shall receive a severe beating. The oikinomos, the someone who serves in the place of the master. The master is obviously the Lord himself. So someone who manages, and the expectation is he manages well. And he provides for the, all the other servants that are there with him, food and organization and so forth. And that's part of the role of oikinomos, the, the person who leads in lieu of the master. Interestingly, if he doesn't do it well, the master can move him on. He can be sacked. Uh, there's no industrial tribunals around here. The master can say, I'm sorry, you have gone astray. You're getting drunk. You're doing this, that, and the other. You have to step aside. That's one passage. There's another one in Luke 16, 1 to 9, another parable about a rich man. Um, let's look at it, Luke 16. Who had an oikinomos. A rich man who had a steward, an oikinomos, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. The oikinomos was wasting his goods. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in account of your stewardship, your oikinomia, for you can no longer be oikinomos. And the steward said to himself, what shall I do? And he went out, and he obviously had authority to do this, and he went to all the creditors of the master, and he says, well, look, there's 800, you know, pay me 600 and let you off. And he made friends through that. Now, there's a lot in that parable that I don't want to get into. The point I'm making is, he had massive authority over all the goods of the master to go out and make those deals to feather bed his future outside the role that he was in. Anoikinomos is a very serious responsibility. God delegates a lot to the oikinomos. It's not just in the household. There's a spiritual element to this as well. In 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, the apostles are called by Paul servants or attendants of Christ. In other words, they're waiting on him. But also stewards, oikinomos, stewards of the mysteries of God. If you think stewarding people and property is a big responsibility, think of the responsibility of stewarding God's mysteries. Rightly conveying God's mysteries. That is a massive responsibility. Yet Paul says that he and the other apostles were in that position of being managers of getting out the mysteries of God. And Paul, I would have to say, did it extremely well. He also says in verse 2, And it is required of stewards that they be, anybody tell me? Faithful. One of the biggest requirements of anoikinomos, a steward, is faithfulness, trustworthiness, faithfulness, someone that you can trust. 
Galatians 4, even more interesting passage, the first two verses. And it gives us an insight into the culture at that time. He's talking about us as being children, not slaves. And he says, I mean that the heir, and we are heirs, and that's what he's speaking to from the previous verses, as long as he is a child, is no better than a slave. You know, child this height, this height, this height. He's no better than a slave. He has to learn to do what he's told. He has to learn to pick up his responsibilities. He has to learn to integrate and relate. And though he is the owner of all the estate, well, at least the potential owner of all the estate, but he is under guardians and trustees. One of those words is oikinomos. Until the date set by the father, the father is given responsibility of his little children to the oikinomos. God the Father has given the responsibility to the leaders of a fellowship of the new Christian believers, the little children in God's household. And they will have to give an answer for it according to Hebrews 13, near the end of Hebrews anyway. A tremendous responsibility, but a time-limited one, uh, because it says, until the date set by the Father. In other words, the input of the leadership is meant to grow all of us up to the point where we could ultimately start our own oikonoma, our own oikos. Isn't that what happens in your family? You raise your kids, but they don't stay in your household unless there's a, 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 an issue. They have a place to come back to. But the, the normal process is to get them to grow up and mature to be able to go and establish an oikos themselves. A stable oikos themselves. Not the process. Exactly the same of the work of the elders in the church. So, I want to summarize that. Stewards stroke elders strokes overseers have a debt delegated authority from the master or the father those are the words that are used in the New Testament this responsibility extensively covers his property his resources and even his young children the responsibility is time limited because we raise them up and ultimately there's a, a glory to come and if he defaults he can be removed by his master stroke father. Father has an investment in the quality of leadership in a fellowship. Now, it could go in a lot of different ways from this point, but I want to talk about the two main relationships in the household to tie together the gospel, the family, and the church. They are integrally integrated or they're meant to be integra integrated together in a much more profound way than I think we often grasp. First main relationship in the household is marriage. That is the basis of it. The world in some places is waking up to this. I got this yesterday through Premier, um, you know, it's a Christian news outlet. Dear marriage supporter, according to the Hungarian constitution, marriage and family 
are the basis for the survival of the nation. That's an ex-communist government saying that in Hungary. This week, that is phenomenal. Do you want to hear something even more amazing? This happened a number of years ago. China adopted the HTB marriage course because the leaders, the political leaders of China were disturbed at how many Communist Party members were divorcing and their marriages and families breaking up. And they thought, this is not a bad witness. This is not a good witness for communism. So they took over the HTB marriage course and they require any communist, I don't know if they still do, but they did a number of years ago, any communist member of any communist party member who is in the process of divorce has to go through the marriage course before they are allowed to divorce. This is a communist government. I wish my government would do that. It's amazing. Why? There was a lady in the communist, high up in the Communist Party who, who said this. This is what she said. Healthy societies are based on healthy families and healthy families are based on healthy marriages. Communist leader. Folks, this book has been saying this for several thousand years. In the West that has been soaked in some form of what's called Christianity hasn't got it. There is a difference. Trevor, where's Trevor? Trevor and I in the late 80s went to a conference in, forgotten where it was? Brighton. It's called the 18th World Congress of Families. And there were representatives there of many Christian denominations and churches, but also Muslim, atheist, um, Jewish, uh, non-Christian and Christian, but the vast majority of Christians who were all concerned about the state of the family. And I remember I went to uh, a seminar led by a lady called Christine Remy, Remy or Remy, who was a sociologist in America. And she gave us some amazing things because at that stage America was just in the heels of the, the you know, the people with all the flowers and hippies and so forth and the free love and the breakdown of family and all the rest of it, and it was massive. And she said at that time that one in two American marriages were ending in divorce. And she says, but if you dig a little bit deeper, you find a very different picture. If you go to the new communities that have sprung up called the Jesus people, now these are people who come out of a very immoral background, but if you go to those communities and look at what they're doing and take stock of it, one in every 1,250 couples end up in divorce. She says that's statistically significant. She said, don't lose hope. Look at the little oases that are springing up all over America that value family, that value the biblical understanding of how we're to grow mature adults that value that and who stick together and who provide partners for the next generation because they're families who have got a common mind about the importance of family who produce their children and those children find people who think the same way. People now have prenups because they are anticipating breaking up. 
Anyway, if the world can get touched, we ought to be on fire about this stuff. The importance of the husband and wife relationship is this, is that it pictures the gospel. Paul says, I take husband and wife, the leaving, cleaving, one flesh process, as Christ and the church. The husband pictures and represents Jesus Christ. The wife pictures and represents the church. I think there's a lot in that. I could take all day in that. Guys, I'll speak to the guys only because I'm a guy. Do you realize that we can misrepresent the gospel? Let me give you a few ways we misrepresent the gospel. By unfaithfulness. Use of pornography. By neglect of our wives. By bullying, shouting, desertion. Do you think Christ does any of those things? Do you think Jesus is unfaithful? Do you think he bullies his bride? So I'm asking a serious question. Does he bully his bride? No, he does not. Is he unfaithful to his bride? No, he is not. So if we as men are any of those things, we are misrepresenting Christ. That's the most serious thing about some of these issues. I call it a lived heresy. We by our lives are saying something about Christ we don't even realize we're saying and it's an untruth. We're saying that you can move from one to the other and you can shift around and do a whole lot of things. It is not true. There are ways to live a heresy. We are called to live the truth, to live the gospel in our marriages and homes. Second thing is, an overseer must know how to manage his own oikos, his children, father to children, um, to do it well as evidence and qualification for oversight in God's household. Have you ever wondered why family uh, attributes, doing family reasonably well, was a qualification for leadership? For this very reason, if I am a father, and I am a father and a grandfather, if I invest in my children in a way that reasonably represents God my Father and being true to what I say I believe, if I am brutal or neglectful of my children or brutal towards them or abuse them, I am misrepresenting the Father that I say I believe in. And that disconnect from how I live and what I say I believe is one of the biggest reasons the next generation gets lost. Do you hear me? You know what PKs are? Preacher's kids. There's actually a name for them. They might be MKs as well, is that right? Yes. Missionaries kids. Kids who have fed up with what they're brought up in because they see the reality in the home and they hear the theory being pronounced on a Sunday or some other time, but they live the reality in the house and they know that there's a massive discord between the two. To be true to the gospel, if I am a leader, I have to have that relationship with my wife that represents and expresses the gospel, Christ's love for the church, Christ's laying of his life down for the church, her honoring of her husband. It has to. It's a two-sided thing. 
I'm not saying anybody does it perfectly, and I know I didn't, and don't. But in a scale from 1 to 100, you're better being up around 75 than down at 20. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have to move towards being the best husband, the best wife that we can. And the further we go on that journey, the more we're qualified to lead on a wider scale. So it's demonstrating the gospel in the oikos through marriage, demonstrating the character of Father God through parenting and the management of it, demonstrating the loving, committed, training, discipling into fruitfulness and character that our Father does with us. So servant leadership has to do family well, as well as possible. It's a big calling, folks. You're out there in front. The word rule in Greek means to stand before. That's what it actually means. I've forgotten what the Greek word is, but that's what it means. To stand before. You're out in front. It's like a commander in front of his army or uh, someone, you know, when the, the government comes on and somebody stands in the front and makes a press release. He's representing a whole nation, a whole government. You stand before. You're in the firing line when you do that. But that's what the word manage or oversee means. This is wider than the nuclear family. 1 Timothy 5. Oh no, not much more to go. This is how important this is. Verse 3, chapter 5, verse 3. Please read it. Honor widows who are real widows. There are people whose oikos is broken down through many things, including bereavement. Honor widows who are real widows. If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn their religious duty. Literally, let them learn to show piety, to show true Christian discipleship to their own oikos their own family and make some return to their parents for this is acceptable in the sight of God and in verse 8 and this is a real strong one if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his own oikos says family in mind but for his own household if he doesn't he has disowned the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, I didn't invent that. I didn't write that. The Holy Spirit inspired that. If someone does not provide for his own family, he is worse than an unbeliever. That hits hard. It is so important that the leadership model and teach and help us all grow into that. Now, I understand Many people come from many different places. There are widows, there are grandparents, there are people with disabilities of various sorts that can't manage the way many of us can. There are single folk. There are very hurt folk and broken folk who've come through all sorts of things. Timothy, to whom this was written, came from a divided family. His mother was a Jewish believer. His father was a Greek unbeliever. The tensions in that are implicit 
We don't even know if his parents were still together. Timothy related to Paul as son to father. In fact, Paul calls him Timothy, my beloved son, a number of times in the New Testament. There's compensation. There's learning beyond the oikos we were brought up in. And it's through the leadership that God has given. And they are the leadership because they've done it. They understand what it means to stop warring children. You know, do you ever have warring children? Remember David Pawson saying, there are three meanings of the word peace. The first is pax, the Roman word for peace, the Latin word. Pax means an absence of outer warfare. It means that one's in one room and one's in the other, and they're still both shouting. <laughs> Do you understand? It's an absence of warfare. You've sort of controlled it to a certain extent. And then there's the Greek word for peace, and that's arene. And this is somebody who floats in a cloud and feels good, and, you know, in a wee bubble on their own. Neither of them are the biblical concept of peace. The Hebrew concept of peace is shalom, the presence of harmony. Godly leadership brings or is best placed to bring the presence of harmony. Anybody desire that? Folks, we were created to know and do this. And it doesn't matter where you are, how far back you start. I didn't come from a Christian family. I didn't know any of this stuff. I was an atheist until I was nearly 20. Fought against it all doesn't matter where you start it's what direction are you going in are you putting yourself in a place where godly leadership will help you grow up into the fullness of what you can be into your potential will you help godly allow godly leadership to speak into the development of your family your marriage your courtship whatever stage you're at will you do it because that's what a disciple does and that's part of the responsibility of the oikonomos the the elder steward, overseer, elder, pastor, shepherd, whatever word you want to use. I'm going to finish very quickly. There are several groups of relationships that I haven't time to mention. There's a lot in the New Testament about brothers, sisters. Okay? That's a family concept, how brothers and sisters work together. They squabble, they fight, you know. They do a lot of things. At least if you were in my house, you did uh, when I was growing up. My brother and I both fought a lot. We once went through a window. Sorry, Lord. <laughs> um, thankfully, we both came to know the Lord. He's one of my most precious friends. Brother, sister passages. There's the people who have been really hurt and broken by their oikos of birth. God says he places the lonely in families. Psalm 68. Places the lonely in families. That can be difficult going into a family because family means so many dangerous things. We once had a girl come to see us and she said, she wouldn't use the word father, she says, that's the F word. It means she was bitter. But then she'd been abused by her father as a minister. I can understand that. What a struggle. What a struggle. God puts the singles the lonely people, people who would love to have family but don't, in families. 
In fact, I think the families in the fellowship are responsible to open their doors a bit, open wide their hearts, bring some people in who include them as, mo- as best you can, as many as you can. No one family can do it for the whole body. Do it for the people that you can do it for. Befriend, get alongside, have for means, include. Last passage, 1 Timothy 3, we're going back to where we started, 3.14. I hope to come to you soon. He's longing for relationship and direct action with him. But I'm writing you these instructions to I'm writing these instructions to you so that if I'm delayed, you, all the people of God, may know how we ought to behave in the household of God. Discipleship is learning how to be part of God's people. It's learning how to be part of the family of God. It's learning how to integrate with other people. And it doesn't matter where you're at today. If it's difficult for you today, acknowledge that and say, where do I get the input I need? Where do I get alongside somebody who can help me walk this out to the best of my ability as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. And just as we pray, I want you to think about your own experience of White Cross, your own experience of family growing up, or indeed your own experience of family after you're grown up. And what was involved in it? Was there division and separation or abuse and hurt? Was there love, respect, spiritual input? Was there a funny sort of mixture? In the oikos of God, we are given a second opportunity, a relearning opportunity, a re-relating. Finding maybe initially one other person we learn to trust. Or the next person that God asks us to get alongside to help. To function as the household of God under the leaders God's given us, but to represent the very heart of the Lord himself. Father, I pray that. I pray your anointing on our elders and deacons, for their families to protect them, for the investment to be made in their families that they need to make, as an example and an encouragement to every one of us to do the same thing, to develop our families, to learn to be children that are godly, mothers, wives, husbands, fathers, grandparents, friends, uncles, aunts that are godly in our input to the family of God. Lord, the world out there desperately needs it because it doesn't have it. And what's called your church so often doesn't do this. Help us get the vision you give us for the household of God the family of God and to walk it out and to go up into all that you have for us in Jesus name Amen